Welcome to the Next Level Leaders Podcast with me, Dr. Joseph Walker. This podcast is designed to offer strategies and moving vision to reality. Leaders can expect to be mentored, inspired, challenged to succeed at the next level. So prepare to be exposed, empowered, and equipped for excellence. Thank you for connecting and allowing this space to become an opportunity for growth and collaborative learning. Now, let's go on this journey together and spark the change we wish to see in ourselves, our teams, and the world. Pastor Keon Henderson and Pastor Terrence Johnson, in that order, I'll raise this one question to both of you. Obviously, the demographic of your congregations, young adult, millennials, and obviously there has been a reliance upon uh, technology, social media, and now you have a generation who now is sitting at home and trying to get out because now the community definitely matters, right? Now they're pretty much tired of just texting and doing that, but they really want to get out. So now the question becomes, how, how have you been able, obviously in this post-COVID reality, to minister to that demographic? And what are some of the things that concern you and what are some of the hopes you have uh, post this particular pandemic? Again, uh, as uh, echoed by everybody, Uh, prior to me. What an honor. God, thank you for the invitation. What I've discovered um, in discussing these conversations with people in our uh, sphere of influence is while there is a group of people who are concerned about their health, uh, remember when this thing hit the scene, it was uh, older Caucasian man's disease uh, in the northern part of the country. Black people couldn't get it, and we were thanking God for the pigmentation, and and all of that now uh, seems to be uh, null and void. Uh, but by and large, people our age are still not afraid. Uh, we're still trying to figure out ways to get together and, and you'll see more responsible people. Um, for instance, states that are opening up now, uh, if you go through the social media feeds, everybody was excited about finally being able to go get their nails done or get their hair done or go to the barbershop. And so the institutionalized fear hasn't been embedded in our generation, but what is Um, What we're thinking is, how can we uh, come out of this uh, economically astute uh, as opposed to fearing the disease? So the gold rush of the 1850s, for instance, um, what what I'm hearing uh, is how do we make money off of this disease? When the gold rush came, a lot of people went out and got the gold, but the percentage of people who got gold was very small. So if you look at it historically, the people who made the money was not necessarily the people who found the gold, but the people who sold the shovels and the buckets. Um, The same thing with the advent of the legalization of marijuana. Um, The people who are making the money is not the people who are necessarily uh, selling the item. It's the people who are making the lamps and the people who know how to build the building so you can do it over time. So the conversation, how I've kept them um, engaged through this, since they're not going to be afraid of the disease, I've shifted the conversation uh, to an economic status, an economic zone. And, um, you know, what what stocks can you invest in um, that will help to curate this um, antibody or, or, or needles? Because it maybe have to be administered that way or who's making the swabs and the Q-tips. And so you you we've taken the conversation, we've shifted it into a thing that matters for them. And as the car said, they're trying to figure out how to make money and how to save the time. 
Um, and then using a little more wisdom in there and telling them you still got to be safe because if you're dead or sick, you can't spend the money or you can't, um, you know, assuage or access to capital. So it's, it's, it's a, um, a hybrid of a conversation seems to be keeping them engaged. And so it's using uh, economics and wisdom as, as an approach. Pastor Terrence, while he's getting together, I think that's incredibly insightful to think through that, you know, and the process that, because I do think one of the things, and, that, and Dr. Steph, if you could chime in while Pastor Terrence is getting ready, because one of the things that you brought up is that this generation is not afraid of this uh, particular disease. And that is obviously somewhat concerning, the fact that they aren't afraid. And I think that's something we should talk about because that's one of the things that I remember very clearly my wife having this moment where they just don't understand. And, and, and Dr. Steph, if you could speak to that, how this particular uh, disease impacts this generation. You hit it right on the head. And I think that's another reason why our numbers are going up as well in terms of misinformation. And it's, it's not their fault, right? Because that's what the news said. The news said the risk factors were being elderly and being sick and having disease risk factors, right? And so if you're healthy and you're running around and you're saying, I feel great, then why should you be afraid until you actually read the numbers? And the statistics are showing that at least 20 to 30% of the people who are in the ICUs are people that are between the ages of 20 and 40. That's not elderly. And most of these people don't even have underlying risk factors. And so it was just being able to be well-informed, being able to follow the news cycles, being able for us as leaders to put that information out there as quickly as we were learning it. Sometimes we were doing it and sometimes we weren't, but really that's a misnomer. And then the idea too is sometimes you have to do things not for yourself, but for the greater good, right? Because I might be healthy, but I have parents, I have aunts, uncle, cousins, nieces, nephews, like 80 to 90% of our African-American population is impacted by something, whether it be asthma, diabetes, hypertension, something, everybody's got something. And so just being mindful as even if you can't do it for yourself, do it for the people that you love. Like for example, Bishop and I have elderly parents and those elderly parents are surrounded by young people. And so the first calls that we made were to our parents, but then we sat and had to have conversations with the young millennials who we knew were coming in and out of the house. Because at this point, it's not about you. It's about what you're gonna bring home and you're gonna feel great. You're not even gonna know that you have contracted the disease, but you're gonna be a quiet carrier and you're gonna pass it on. Because the reality is in terms of these numbers, we're almost at a million people in the United States who have contracted coronavirus. In a few days, if not the next week or so, we will have more people who have died of the coronavirus than who died in Vietnam. 58,000 people died in Vietnam. And in the next few days, we will surpass that. Vietnam was what, 10 years? This has been around for four to five weeks. And it's not the people that are transmitting the disease are not necessarily the ones who look and feel sick. Because if someone sneezes or coughs, what are you gonna do? You're gonna run, you're gonna walk the other way, you're gonna cover your face, you're gonna wear your mask, you're gonna do whatever. It's the people who look well, feel well, feel good, and don't even know that they're carrying the virus. Those are the people that we have to worry about. And many of them are young, healthy individuals. 
Yeah, one of the things that I, I want to address, I think it's important, and I want to bring in Dr. Oliver, uh, because I know uh, he's truly a homiletician, practitioner when it comes to that and his theology and working sermons and helping other pastors in that area. And one of the things that is critical now is us to really look at the presentation of the pulpit going forward. Many, as you know, many of our churches uh, built their ministries on the revivalist model and did not focus on infrastructure. Uh, John Jenkins did not focus on systems and things of that nature. Now, uh, Dr. Oliver, uh, what do you see now? You know, how do you minister to people in this virtual space? Can you give some practical examples and things that you want to share with folks in terms of what this looks like going forward? Because obviously, you know, you can't look at somebody and say, turn to your neighbor. You, you don't have the privilege of drawing off of that. So there has to be a different uh, way in which we present the gospel in this virtual space. Dr. Oliver. Absolutely. And as echoed by everyone else, thank you so much for allowing me to be a part of this amazing panel. And uh, as indicated, certainly the whole process of preaching totally has shifted. It's intimidating to even respond to this particular question in light of a lot of the preachers that are on this uh, conversation, I idle as preachers. And so what I'm going to share is not dealing so much with the homiletic aspect of it, the whole exegetical and word study and context and culture and all of that type of stuff. We get that part of uh, sermon development. But how do we move from preaching to make an impression, to make an, an impact? Because again, we're preaching in an empty church. And so just utilizing the word impact as a template uh, that can perhaps give some thoughts of how we can still make an impact. You know, so I stands for the whole aspect of being individual as it relates to the target. Uh, Middlebrooks has just modeled that for us in this whole conversation. If you notice when he started calling out names and he made the whole point that he was making, uh, though speaking to everyone, he was still individual uh, as it relates to the target. And so we're no longer in a church building brick and mortar, uh, but rather we're speaking at a small dot in a camera. And yet at the same time, it has to come across, be transmitted as if I'm speaking to an individual. No different than when we have preached uh, within the, um, the confines of the church and a person would approach us and it would say something to the effect, it sounded as if he was preaching that sermon directly to me. And we have to be more intentional in being uh, individual in target, M, uh, motivational in focus. When I say motivational, uh, there's at least two aspects that we have to be um, focused on at a, as a motivational perspective. Number one, cognitive. Um, in preaching, I want to challenge the way you think. You know, I want to make sure that I'm preaching in such a way, if I'm going to make an impact, that I'm touching you at a cognitive level. I'm causing you to think. I'm trying to turn the gears of your mind. But not just cognitively, but emotive and even affective. Not just how you think, but also how you feel. You know, it goes without saying that the emotions are everywhere right now. And so we want to make sure that we're, of course, dealing with both of those aspects. The, the heart and the head uh, has to take place in that whole preaching process. P, it has to be pastoral in heart. Uh, founder Bishop Morton just made mention about uh, my sheep hear my voice. And if there's ever a time, even in this unique space that we're in, that we have to be pastoral in our preaching, now is that time. You know, uh, every pastor has not been exalted to a place of having the pulpit that speaks to the entire country or generation, as is the case of a Bishop Jakes, as is the case 
of a uh, Bishop Morton, as is the case of a Bishop uh, John Jenkins. You know, not a lot of people have been crowned with that type of grace. And so even when I preach online, though it's Facebook and though it may be uh, YouTube, I'm still preaching as if I'm talking to the members of EBC. And everyone else in the world, you can eavesdrop on the conversation, but I'm pastoral still in heart. I still have an obligation to the souls that God has placed under my uh, pastoral uh, leadership. A, I think it has to be, again, apologetical uh, at, at its core. You know, apolog apologetic preaching, of course, deals with the defending of the faith. And the faith is not so much being under attack by heresy. There are people who go to church now that is wrestling with their faith. You know, where is God in this? How could God allow this to happen? And so I think, again, even in the preaching, we miss the mark when we're preaching all around the world, but not dealing with biblical truths and biblical doctrines, you know, such as Psalms 91, you know, let's deal with God is still here and we still can find protection uh, under his wing. And then, of course, we deal with the whole aspect of C, conversational in tone, that even as I'm preaching, I want to have a conversation, you know, and this is, again, just my personal view on preaching. And this is not to uh, throw any shade to anyone else as it relates to their, preach, their preaching process. Uh, but I'm not trying to conduct a revival online. That's just me. You know, everyone knows I'm in the sanctuary by myself. And so there's no need of my having an organ to back me up and I'm shutting it down and going five gears. You know, it, it looks a little odd, you know. And so I'm having a conversation. If I can talk about Bishop Jates, even with this talk show, when he would sit there with the person sitting right across from him, he, he would have a conversation with them. And then when the cameras would span from him to the actual audience, it's a conversation with them. And then when the camera comes directly to him and he's now talking to the people throughout the world, it felt as if he was talking directly to me. He was having a conversation. You know, it would have been odd to come right in my face just yelling, you know, and again, that's just my view. It has to be conversational in tone. And there will come a Sunday that the congregation will gather again in the brick and mortar and shut it down, you know, but, you know, in this space, just for me, it's conversational right now. So I move from the pulpit to a table, you know, because the people I'm preaching to, it's no need of me putting on a suit and a tie and a collar and all of that type of stuff. And I know they're in bed. They're still in the, you know, bed attire and I'm dressed up, I'm booted and suited up, you know, and they're still in a comfortable leisure type of attire. T and I'm done. It has to be transformational in purpose. That at the end of the day, there's no need of taking a Bible, no need of calling yourself preaching if you're not preaching towards the end of transformation. You know, so how is this sermon going to bring you from a place of worry to worship, from anxiety to a place of insurance, from, from this place of panic to a place of praise. You know, how do we transition you in this moment? And so again, I really believe that preaching in this unique space, we have to preach with the purpose of having an impact and not solely just to impress. You know, so hopefully that provides some oh insight. Thank you so much. Wow, Dr. Oliver, that was so rich and uh, just full of practical application and, uh, Terrence Johnson, if you, you you want to come back and and kind of chime in, yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for uh, having this this time and to everyone. So good to see y'all. Um, and Bishop, I'm gonna ride the millennial, you know, thing. I'm not a millennial anymore. Oh, I know I'll be, that. <laughs> God be fifty in two years, right? <laughs> so uh, I haven't got out of that group. 
but but I think I you know just what Bishop said, Bishop Morton. I think the whole thing this this is a moment, and it is a moment for the pastors that have to be managed for those who may be further along. And I think God create moments like this and it's a passing moment when it comes to the technology. But I think people are kind of ripe now to kind of hear what Bishop was saying. I think what we need to do is have an audience with pastors to talk about the mission remains even though the methods change. And, and that's pretty much what, I, what I've been focusing the church on. Like the mission, we're still on mission. And our mission ultimately is to bring people in and to build them up and to teach them how to be followers of Christ. That is the mission. So when you go to Mark chapter two and they were bringing this guy to the house to meet Jesus, the traditional way to get to Jesus was black. Well, that's what happened when, when COVID hit. All of our traditions and methods to get people to Jesus was black. They go up on the roof, they cut a hole in the roof. That's creativity, that's innovation. That if we can teach people the intent of innovating is to just get people to Jesus. However we, we, we do that, we, we still marry the mission but our methods need to change on how we get people to Jesus. And so by default, the crisis have accelerated that. That's what has happened. So now we need to teach people, hey, by default, our methods have changed. We still giving money, just giving it by technology. We still preaching, we just doing it by way of technology. But now while people are open and listening, we need to sit down and talk about now let's design a system and infrastructure. So when we go back, we don't go back to the, uh, to, to, to the past. We're going back to a new normal. And the new normal is face-to-face, we're going to have structure and system. And virtually, we're going to have structure and system. And we remain ambidextrous where I'm ministering to the people face-to-face, but I don't lose the momentum that God has created from this virtual standpoint. And so I think it's that. I think like we got to emphasize, no, we still on mission. Hopefully, let's get people to Jesus. And whatever things we have to do in terms of creativity, let's do that. I think what happens a lot of times, we just create to create. We got to create with the intent to fulfill the mission. And if our creativity is not moving people toward the mission of the church, I think that's not good, get good innovation. So I think, I think, the body is right now, and we just got to take, make sure we manage this moment. Thank you. Bishop Jakes, I want to throw this out to you first, and we'll just have an open discussion for whoever wants to chime in, because I think the question is broad for a variety of different perspectives. Um, we clearly are not going back to normal. There's going to be a new normal, as Pastor Terrence Johnson has said, and all of us probably agree with. And one of the things that I'm clear about is we have to reassess what is essential. What, what this has taught us in terms of church is really to reassess what is essential and what is not. We're doing the same thing with less. So as we go back, what do you think now, how, what strategies would you employ to help us work through this idea of essentialism? What will be essential going forward and what will not? Obviously, 
many of our churches and much of the stuff we do is filled with a lot of fluff, a lot of stuff, and our folks are now really being blessed. Our services are now 50 minutes and an hour. They're like, wonderful. You know, we're reaching more people now. So we go back to the physical space. People are going to be looking for a lot of that fluff. They want to get right back to what they're used to over this COVID experience. So you could speak to that, and we'll just throw that out for whoever wants to chime in. You know, uh, thank you for the opportunity. I've been given that a lot of thought, and I've, I've not reached a completed thought, so this is an incomplete thought, but I will nevertheless share it uh, in its original embryonic form. I think that our idea of what our mission is has to be broadened. I think that while our, our mission from a biblical perspective is to bring people to Jesus Christ, those metrics are not quantifiable in a contemporary society. And if we're going to sit at the table with influencers that bring about change in community, and they're trying to quantify how many people graduated from high school or got into STEM programs or how many people were fed or clothed, and we're talking about how many people we baptized, I'm not sure that it's going to give us a seat at the table of influence to make the difference. So I'm not at all suggesting that we forsake the original uh, Great Commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel, not at all. But this is what I've been thinking. Jesus was preaching when the disciples told him that they were hungry. He didn't just keep preaching. He stopped and met their natural needs simultaneously with meeting their spiritual needs. And I think that the churches that survive and going forward in the 21st century post-COVID-19 will be multidimensional. They will be resource centers that serve functions other than just preaching the gospel. I think we have to address what else do they need. And from a theological perspective, it is my understanding that we are commanded if a brother is cold, we don't give him a blessing, we give him a coat. Uh, if he's hungry, we don't just say, I'm praying for you, we give him something to eat. I think our communities in particular, because they have been forsaken and abused by so many other institutions, expect more from us than just discipleship. And I think that if we're going to be successful in the 21st century, we have to have programming like what John Jenkins was talking about that educates our entrepreneurs how to be effective in this world while we wait on the world to come. We have to include uh, health tips uh, like your wife began to share because we are a trusted voice, we have the onus and the responsibility is on us to begin to introduce health tips and to separate, especially now with uh, the propaganda that is perpetuated through social media. I had about 100 friends to send me a message that all I needed to do to be rid of COVID-19 was drink hot water every 20 minutes and it was gonna go away. Those types of things, our people don't know what's real and what's not real, but they believe you. And so for you to be a gatekeeper of truth is very important. Let's say uh, plug up their veins to a bottle of Lysol. We have to be progressive enough to say, no, that's not true. Yes, this is true. And because we have a responsibility to our congregation, but more broadly, we have a, a responsibility to our generation and to our world. And Jesus fed with one hand and preached with the other. And I think this duplexity or this multiplicitous way of leadership is going to be paramount in a society where the commodity that cannot be produced, manufactured, or distributed is trust. And to the degree that we have the trust 
of certain segments of our community, that trust comes with the responsibility that our vision is not myopic and it is not lasered into one a style of leadership. We have to meet the people where they are, meet their needs. Jesus who walked the water, Peter finds on the bank cooking fish. And I think the challenge for the leadership going forward is not just can you preach. It might be can you walk on water and sometimes it might be can you fish or can you put somebody up front who can teach me how to fish or how to cook fish. And I'm using that metaphorically to say before COVID-19 came up, the projections were over the next uh, 20 years that the unemployment rate was going to go from about 7% at the time to about 20% because we were not being educated in fields that were marketable. I don't even know how that 20% has escalated post COVID-19. So if we end up with 40 or 50% of our people unemployed, not only is that gonna increase crime and decadence and pregnancies and destructive behavior and emotional breakdown and spousal uh, domestic abuse and, and, and divorces and so forth and so on, it is also gonna cause the erosion of the functionality of the institution, the physical institution of the church. And I think the only solution is to be multiplicitous in our vision. We have been feeding, we fed about 5,000 first responders, uh, 5,000 meals to first responders who work night shifts where the hospitals, restaurants are shut down and all the restaurants in the city were shut down. Nurses, janitors, police officers, we fed 5,000 people. All of a sudden, people begin to recognize that and it brought us to other tables to have other conversations. Had I passed out tracks to 5,000 people, it would not have had that level of impact. So my challenge to the leaders that are listening to this today is to get out of the box of being one dimensional and have a mission that is multiplicitous because sometimes you have to preach like Jesus and also bring order into the community, setting them in groups of 50 and feeding them, taking care of their natural needs to remain credible in the position that we're placed in, we must have metrics in order to go for it. And I've been long, let me say one little thing uh, on the social media piece. It's not enough that you have social media or that you're streaming online. If you're not watching your metrics, if you're not geo-targeting your message, if you're not really doing the analytics on the message, a lot of us as leaders, we want to preach and we don't want to be bothered with the other parts of it. But, but social media and cyberspace is a science. And you have to be intentional about it and respect it. Anything you don't respect won't respect you and you won't maximize it. And you'll throw your hands up and say, it's not working for me. It will work if you work it, but you have to put the work into it. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's podcast. I want you to subscribe at iTunes, cpnshows.com or whatever podcast or download it. I also want you to follow me on Instagram at Joseph Walker 3. I look forward to connecting with you.